are listening to the Traditional Outdoors Podcast. This episode of the Traditional Outdoors Podcast is brought to you by St. Joe River Bows. If you're looking for a custom longbow or recurve, then St. Joe River Bows has you covered. St. Joe's is a family-owned company that specializes in traditional bows for the entire family. Plus their forward handle design, powerful limbs, and unique wood and color combinations make St. Joe's the perfect choice for the budding or experienced archer or bow hunter. Tracy offers bow options for all members of the family from the youngest to the oldest, and they even offer a trade-in program on all youth bows so that as the little ones outgrow their bow, they can trade them in and use that towards the purchase of a bow that better fits their growing needs. And for listeners of the Traditional Outdoors podcast, David and Tracy are going to include a St. Joe River Bows t-shirt with any new bow purchased. Just mention that you heard about them while listening to this podcast. So when you're ready for a new bow, be sure to check out their website at stjoeriverbows.com or give Tracy a call at 517-617-3658 and be sure to tell them Traditional Outdoors sent you. Now on to the show. Welcome to the podcast, everyone. We're all quarantined up for the coronavirus, which I think uh, a good deal of the the country is. You 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 stay in you stay in safe and and virus free, Mister Nick. Hunkering down and hanging in there, man. How are you? <laughs> you know, it's it's somewhat of a a mixed blessing because uh, Bella was home for spring break this week, and before she left to come home for spring break, they told her they were. Uh, extending it by uh, a full week so she still got all next week off that you know she gets to spend time with us and then uh, they announced uh, I think it was earlier this week that um, they're going to finish out the semester online so you know she's pretty much home now through the summer uh, until she goes back this fall she's she gets to spend time with us so She's a little disappointed. I think, you know, her her first year of college has probably not been exactly what she wanted, but, you know, it just it is what it is, and I'd much rather, um, personally, I'd rather, you know, them be safe, especially I've seen the way stuff goes around schools, man. It, oh. it just takes one, and it, it, would be, it would be bad. Well, and I'm on the other side of that as an employee for a university and on the marketing team, and I can tell you that it's not an easy decision we're shut down too um it's not an easy situation and, it, and there's not really any good way to handle it and and no matter what you do you're you're going to get ridicule from the from the public eye uh from parents and students alike and and we we feel for the kids a lot you know your first year is your usually your best experience so you know i'm real sorry that bella had to deal with that this this year uh, but our students probably ain't coming back till after spring till or this semester either. Right. Um, and and yeah. you're you know I think you mentioned this last week. You're you know you work for a university and you guys are in that damned if you do, damned if you don't mm-hmm. uh, situation because if you don't do anything, you're going to get blamed if it breaks out. If you do something, you're going to get blamed for uh, being too precautionary. But now I don't know about Michigan, but here the state university system as a whole stepped in and said this is what you're doing. Yeah, that didn't really happen here. It kind of started, it was a popcorn effect. Basically, a few universities came out and said, we're shutting down, and then everybody else was kind of like, came out, and they temporarily partially shut down, and then finally the governor came out and said, y'all are shutting down, is right, basically right. what happened. But it's fu- it's it was, it was it was interesting to see how everybody reacted differently because um, you really don't know you know, how it's going to work. And I, I think we're doing some mobile education um, at, in April. But, right. I mean, we're, we were already in the process to, to getting over to doing more online, but we were kind of building that up. We weren't really quite ready. So we're kind of, we're kind of you know, it, it's getting turned virtual real quick. And my whole my old apartment now is on Slack. We've been talking all week. We're on Skype meetings now. This is a whole new world for us. So we're like, you know, having to catch up very, very quickly. Um but it's been, you know, I, I'm enjoying my family. Um, it's nice to have, you know, us all here. And Jess is working from home now, too, which really helps out because if she wouldn't have been, it would have been really hard for me to put the girls in a curriculum and a schedule because I do think a routine's important or they'd be on screens all day. Um, right, right. So, you know, and I wouldn't care because they're quiet, then I can work. Um, so, 
we kind of got that going and they're not killing each other yet, but we're all kind of forgetting what day it is now. And <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but I, I was like yesterday, I thought it was Tuesday and today I thought it was Wednesday and then <laughs> I'm all messed up, but yeah. Well, I've had, uh, and you, you know, you and I have talked about this a little bit. I've had a, a, a self-induced major life change here. So keeping track of the days is not hard for me because, uh, you know, I, I, I decided to, to, to switch jobs. I'm, I'm changing employers right here in the middle of all this. Oh. So, uh, I've been, I've been stressing about that a little bit, but, um, I actually spoke with, uh, who is to be my boss once I, once I change at the end of the month today. And, um, not only got some reassurances, but he pretty much informed me that he just put a down payment on a new house. So he, oh boy. he's, he's a bit vested <laughs> with me. So, uh, we're, 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 we're both kind of determined to see each other be successful. So I think it'll be good. Yep. Now the only thing that, you know, I, I'm kind of worried about is we've got, we were, I, I, Ireland's probably not happening, happening. It's probably getting postponed. Um, and then, the shoots. I mean, we're already talking about what's going to happen with the spring shoot. How far is this going to be? You know, how long is it going to take to get a vaccine? You know, all this right. stuff like that. Like nobody knows what's going on and what we're, what's going to happen. And man, we could we could use lose a lot of this 3D season, um, which is a bummer. But we have an aging population too, so I understand. Um, you know, so we're. A lot of stuff's up in the air right now, man, and I'm just kind of I'm taking it day by day, I guess. But, well, and I know your your trip to Ireland was in June, right? Yeah, mid June. Yeah. So see, you know, Tom and I've got the the bear hunt planned, and right now the the Canadian border's closed. So mm-hmm. I don't I I don't think I haven't reached out to Jerry yet. I'm sure he's probably thinking about it, but you know, I I don't know what's going to happen there. I, I'm 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 thinking we're going to get over a wave. Uh, if everybody will will you know do what they're supposed to and take this thing seriously, I think we'll we'll get it behind us and and hopefully your hopefully your trip still happens. I don't. I mean, I, I mean that's it's a long time between now and June. It, it is, it is. I mean, we and you know if it if it happens, great. If it's postponed, it's postponed. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, I'm sure we'll get our our money for the flight back. You know, it'll just or not. We won't get the money back, but they'll give us a credit they'll, they'll do a credit yeah and that's the only money we got invested into it right now so you know but man am i itching to get outside we're all trying to talk we're talking about maybe fishing this weekend or something right now um because i just got i got way too i i'm in a house full of ladies as you are and and i mean i had to i had to lift rusty weights at lunch just to feel like a man again today <laughs> rust, did the rust help <laughs> <laughs> I, well my, i don't know either that or yeah i'll get tetanus <laughs> uh, but uh i've kind of i'm kind of sequestered away in the basement <laughs> yeah well and you know i i work in the basement and i've got my my podcast uh recording set up and computer in a, a different room in the basement so um yeah i spend i spend a lot of time I spent a lot of time down here myself, uh, and I don't know. You know, I've got this weekend we're we're kind of we kind of got stuff going on, and mm-hmm. then, uh, next weekend I I thought about trying to go down and and chase some pigs, but I think I may put that off another week. I'm not I'm not sure yet, but uh, I'm kind of same as you. I, I'm 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 looking for an opportunity to to get outside, and it's beautiful here. It was 75 degrees I think here today. Um, supposed wow. to have some rain coming in this weekend, but. Um, but it's not, it's not cold. It's not snowing. Uh, but we had, you and I have kind of been talking about this. We, I know we did our, heard it on Facebook last week and, uh, we, I did finally get the guest that we talked about last week recorded. Um, and I guess maybe, I don't know if we've ever talked about how we do some of our guest recordings. So I'll, I'll go ahead and throw that out there now. Uh, so that, that, that podcast has been recorded. It's coming. Um, but if anybody has listened to the podcast enough and that listens to other podcasts, one thing you've probably noticed is a lot of our, when we have guests, it almost sounds like we're all in the same room talking. And I, I go to a, a good bit of extra work to make that happen. And what that typically involves is mailing out a recording kit to these guests, which includes a, 
a digital recorder and some headphones and we use uh, zoom meetings and but they're recording their audio on this little digital recorder and right now that individual still has that recorder because he works um in the uh somehow he's tied to the oil industry i don't know exactly how it all works but he's on a boat and as i understand it he's shuttling people between uh the mainland and and drilling rigs and right now he is stuck on the boat and he can't he hasn't been able to get their recorder in the mail to get it back to me so that one's coming i just got to wait for the recorder to get back i could go off the the cloud recording but i would rather it it actually was a really good episode so i want to i want to wait until i can actually get that that good audio back uh and get everything edited mixed up and hopefully hopefully next weekend that one will drop uh like i said it was a good episode but uh you and i were talking this week if that couldn't happen with everybody or i shouldn't say everyone with a lot of people kind of uh cooped up so to speak like like we are um, a lot of people might be spending some time uh, reading or, or maybe watching, you know, hunting, hunting videos, that kind of thing. But what we talked about doing was um, for this episode, pulling out a, a few of our favorite um, traditional bow hunting related books that we really like and, and maybe covering just a, you know, maybe a, a chapter in, in the books or uh, I think we're going to even read a couple of paragraphs. But just so that people, if they haven't heard of these books, um, might might go out and check them out. And, you know, I think one or two of them, we might even learn a little bit here on the show. So we'll kind of see how it how it plays out. Yeah. Excited. We always like talking about literature here. So, yeah. Yeah, we we really do. And I, I've actually started looking through and I was go- really kind of sitting there going, crap, I've got so many books. I don't know which ones to, to choose. So I, I kind of went with some of my my staples, I guess, uh, they're, they're kind of my favorites, but I tell you for this one, I'm going to let you jump in and, and get started and I'll just let you take yours the way you want to go. And we'll, we'll run here for 10 or 15 minutes and then we'll, we'll give you a chance to take a breath and I'll, I'll jump into one. Okay, great. Um, well, my first one was actually the first one I ever bought. And I remember when I first started you know, I first got Kindle on my phone. I was looking for traditional bow hunting books. And uh, the one that immediately, you know, at the time there wasn't that many. Uh, so I typed in just longbow on Amazon and I ended up on uh, Longbows in the Far North by E. Donald Thomas. And um, I really, I, I knew Don was the editor of Traditional Bow Hunter magazine and I'd read some of his articles. And when I started reading it, I immediately realized how talented of a writer Don is. And I've heard interviews with Don and, and I know he's, he's like a Hemingway disciple, but he can't help but his flavor get away from him a little bit. And it's so good. Um, there are so many good stories in this book. I mean, it's obviously all about, you know, Northern hunting and a lot of bear and, and things of that nature. Um, Alaska stuff and if you're into that this is the book that you want to read and what's really nice about Don is that Don's not a gear guy at all he has one chapter in this whole book called Sensei and it's dedicated to his longbow his Robertson and he he approaches it more of like an actual Sensei like it's taught him lessons and I, I love it. It's it's probably one of the best chapters in the whole book and, and the one he didn't want to write on gear, but it's about his connection with that longbow and how, how many adventures it's been on. Um, but what I wanted to do is I wanted to read a little bit from my favorite story in the book, which is Zen and the Art of Bear Hunting. It's one of the earlier um, chapters of the book, and it's about an adventure he had bear hunting in Alaska and uh and stalking bear and i'm gonna try to do it justice don if you're listening to this i'm sorry Uh, but but i'm not gonna read much of it but i want i want you just hear how he sets the scene and the whole book is like this and you feel like you're right there with don the whole time so zen in the art of bear hunting from the bow hunter's perspective there are two kinds of seaweed to be found along the beaches of southeast alaska popcorn and salad. 
Popcorn is the more interesting of the two in spite of the problems that it causes. The key structural feature is the tiny air bladder that keeps it, it, its fronds aloft as the tide washes in and out. At low water, popcorn lies innocently along the beaches where the bears prowl each spring, so quiet and innocuous that you will scarcely notice the stuff until you step on it, at which point the force of a boot against all those little air sacs will make a quiet, or a quiet beach explode like a Chinese New Year parade. The ensuing snap, crackle, and pop will be audible for hundreds of yards and is guaranteed to send whatever you were stalking into the security of the ever-present ever rainforest jungle. Salad is friendlier stuff. Heaped up, heaped up in a thick, gelatinous pile of glop. Normal conditions of rainfall and tide keep it moist enough to consume the sound of even a carelessly placed step. When stalking bears along a crunchy beach, the observant bow hunter soon learns to keep his boots in the salad whenever possible. I mean, that just puts you on the beach in Alaska stalking bear with him. And that's only the first couple paragraphs of the story. And the whole book is like that. And Don is just very talented. And if you can and you don't have any of Don's writing, I highly recommend, especially if you've ever wanted to hunt in Alaska, to pick up Longbows of the Far, far North because... It's a fantastic book, and in fact, it's one of those books that I need to find a physical copy of because I've had this on my Kindle in rotation for like seven years. It's been on there. I've never taken it out of the carousel. Uh, so, and I read it from time to time, especially when I'm going bow hunting because some of these just set the tone. But have you read that one, Steve? I have not. I'll have to. I'll have to either borrow your copy or or pick up a copy because I have not. But it definitely sounds like something I would enjoy. Well, my copy's on the Kindle, so you can't borrow my copy. I need I need to find a copy, but um, I that's something I'm gonna do. I've been reading a lot more since I've been in the bunker, so <laughs> I got I got I got to pick one up. And if Amazon deems it as emergency, I might get it before next February. So I have to find it. But it's a it's a fantastic book. So with that, Steve, what's your first one? Well, and one note to make about that. So uh, some of these books are going to be hard to find because they're out of print. They're, you know, they've been around a while. So, you know, some Google searches will definitely help if you try to find your own copy. And one thing that I've found that's really good is eBay. Yeah. Um, a lot of times you can find these books on eBay. Now, sometimes they might not be in the best shape, but uh, again, you got to keep in mind, some of these books are, are pretty old. So um, just a tip there, you know, if, if you, if you can't find them, try eBay. It, it a lot of times it will be your last resort, and it will produce results. But, um, so for for me, Nick, I, you know, I always go back to uh, my my staples. One of them I know you know, and I, I'm gonna save that one till last. And the other one is actually a a more recent book. We've had the the author of this book on the show, and I may put a a link in the show notes to go back and listen to that for anybody that missed it, but. Um, is, um, Jay Campbell's book, Longbow, A Hunting Life. Um, I remember when Jay, uh, put this book out, I bought one immediately and he signed it for me. And I'll be honest, it's one of those books that I'd wished I'd bought two of one to one to read and one to just put away and never touch it. I mean, it's just, I love this book and I'm, it's got a few specific chapters in it that I really like. And if you've never read any of Jay's writing, even, you know, the stuff he writes on Facebook, Jay has got a way of articulating a story. Um, and I'm going to have to go back and listen myself to our recording because I'm pretty sure I asked him if, if this story that I'm getting ready to read a little bit of was, was, was true or or if the people were true, or if it was something that he just completely fabricated. And I can't remember, but for some reason, this thing cracks me up. And I'm going to try to read just a few sections of it. And I'm going to um, probably have to edit some of this out because there'll be some some gaps in my reading because I've had to flip through a few pages. But the name of the story is is Finding Will. And it's it's just one of those stories, in all honesty, that I can see happening on any of the hunts that you and I and Tom and some of those others have gotten together, not necessarily with any of the people that we've, we've hunted with to date. It's just, I always 
somebody is going to join one of our hunts one of these days and it's going to end something like this, which is why I find it so funny. <laughs> so I'm gonna try to I'm gonna try to read through some of this and like you said, I'm gonna I'm probably gonna butcher it, Jay. Please forgive me, but uh man, I love this story. So finding Will. Will Cooley had been lost, presumed dead, APB'd, and abandoned, found, resurrected, banished for life, then welcomed back and forgiven all on one Super Bowl night. That's a lot of work for any man on a night when most of America is in a football coma. It was probably harder for Will himself, who was said to be a middle-aged fat man with a heart condition. Sounds like me. I wouldn't know because I never really saw him, no more than I might have seen a ghost. I had no business in a Georgia swamp during, Jan- during a January ice storm, but an invitation to hunt with my longbow is always difficult to resist. As it happened, I'd been asked to fill in the last minute for a celebrity hunter who knew enough to read a weather report. But I'm not as smart as a celebrity hunter, nor as choosy. I got the invitation on Sunday night, and Monday morning I was sliding toward Savannah in an ice storm. Bear with me. I'm going to flip around a little bit uh, and find where I want to go yet. So uh, let's see. Jimmy met at his truck at dusk. Any luck? Only bad. Hit a shoat. Lost my arrow. Hey, that Ford wasn't here when we came in, was it? We wondered together whose car was parked on the roadside. Whoever it belonged to, he had come in after us. Back at camp, Andy was also puzzled. We drove out again to see who was on the private lease. The acreage was locked up pretty tight. In the headlights glare, Andy identified it as Will's car. Will was a friend of Stoddard's with full hunting privileges, and Andy didn't seem too concerned. He'll find his way back to camp soon enough. That's what he does. He'll stop for a cup of coffee before he goes home. So um, skipping forward a few pages, people have that sense That noise carries well in the outdoors. Well, it doesn't. Trees, wind, snow, and hills rob sound of its initiative and leave it alone in the wild, just like Will. But something deep in the woods had pushed enough air our way to brush our eardrums. We both felt it. It had direction, if nothing else. So we kicked through the understory, chasing that little push of air through the palmettos until it finally turned into... Will. It was so dark and sleeting that we never really saw Will, even when he was standing in front of us. We just heard his voice and talked to his shadow. It was a big shadow, a looming outline in the forest. He seemed truly surprised anyone was concerned as he followed us back to the truck, and he didn't seem to appreciate the effort that had been made on his behalf, or as we saw it at the time, the effort made because of his foolishness. And I'm going to stop there. That... So they found Will. Will was lost, but there's a lot of good stuff in between there of what this crowd went through trying to find a man who wasn't lost. And in the end, they basically just all celebrated the fact that he was actually a pretty good woodsman. So <laughs> again, Jay, just uh, the way he writes, I've, I just I enjoy every, every chapter in this book, but that one's just one that's always kind of stuck out for me. So um, that's that's mine from Longbow, A Hunting Life. And I uh, purposely stayed away from Longbow because we already did an episode with Jay and I gushed about it enough there and you were already talking about it. <laughs> so we don't need to just blow any more smoke in, J- in Jay Campbell's general direction <laughs> at this point. But uh, it's a fantastic book. My, I actually got a physical copy the other day and I'm, I'm just tickled to have it. Um, uh, I found that happened to pop up on Amazon for like 11 bucks and I was shocked, but mine's not signed and I don't know when I'll ever see Jay to have him sign it. So you are very lucky in that regard. Um, okay. So my other book was one you actually helped me find a physical copy too. In this book, I used to go to, um, Black Dog Outfitter in Rockford where I live. When I first moved here, I, I was at Black Dog Outfitter a couple days a week and it was a, it was Tom Hackbart's traditional shop. And they had everything in there, including a lot of books. And there was always this green hardcover, beautifully bound book called From the Den of the Old Bowhunter by uh, Chester Stevenson and edited by Nick Knott. And um, it had just fantastic photos in it. And 
One of the reasons that is is because Chester worked for Kodak, and he took fantastic photos. He was basically an amateur photographer, and um, they're just full in this in this story. They're everywhere, and the 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 coolest part of this book is that it, it is actually the den of the old bow hunter. Um, there's a lot of photos of his den, which would make any of us jealous. And it's full of self bows because he made self bows, quivers, arrows, and all kinds of things just adorning the walls, just packed. And it's basically the feel of the book. And, and what he did was he would sit in his office, in his den, on his chair, and he would look around and he would see particular items and they would uh they'd make him want to write and he'd write about them and he'd he'd met a lot of he'd he'd acquired quite a few characters along the way and uh they're they're all pretty much in here he he'd hunted with some pretty famous people um and in the archery world and uh it's it's pretty fantastic and uh I mean, it, this is definitely an old book, an older book. I mean, the the story I'm going to talk about here in a second was, I mean, he occurred in 1911, so it's it's back there. And some of the pictures make you think this could be a guy that was a primitive archer today. I mean, they're that good, and just some of the animals in this book are just absolute monsters. That this little guy with glasses and a newsboy hat is just has is it's just phenomenal. Um, anyway. I'm going to read a chapter, um, it's actually chapter one, uh, and it's, and it's under his adventures section. He really didn't organize this all that great. There's pretty much adventures, deer hunting, bear hunting, and friends is basically how it's organized. And I think Nick might've done that because that was the best way to organize what Chester was talking about in his notes. So this one's called old me, old mealy nose, and it's about a bear hunt. So, again, I'll do my best here. She was an old grizzly bear that came down into the into the mountain pit country back in 1911 and met the old bow hunter with his U-wood bow. My wife and I and our small daughter and Werner and Mrs. Smith and their baby son had gone onto the Lake of the Woods from Ashland, Oregon on a camping trip. Werner to fish and myself to hunt with the bow. It was a long, hard day's trip to the lake with team and wagon. Team and wagon, you just don't hear that anymore at all. It's crazy. <laughs> A logging road, Steve. <laughs> they had them back then. They had them back then, and they were actual logging roads. It uh, might have been the same one. Probably. Uh, <laughs> the road was just a track winding in and out amongst the trees and boulders. We found a beautiful setting on the shore among the trees for our camp, and, and were the only human beings within a day's travel. We had two tents and made a comfortable camp, but we sure lacked the conveniences which we have today. We cooked over the campfire, and our lights at night were oil lanterns and candles in a tin coffee can, which we called a bug. We took we took in plenty of supplies, and we lived well. There were plenty of trout in the lake, and Werner knew how to get them, and I was lucky to get enough grouse for our needs. I hunted some for deer each day, but got no big game until the day I met old Mealy Nose. This day I really wanted to get something. There were lots of salad and huckleberries, and bear signs were numerous, although it was, it was deer that I wanted for our table. In the meadows around the lake, we saw deer occasionally as well, as stock, which was being summer-ranged there. I was about a half mile from camp and approaching what seemed to be a clearing in the forest, when I heard a terrific commotion accompanied by a great roaring and grunting. Just a side note, to set the scene here, there's a, there's a, a photo of him, and he's in a redwood forest in Oregon. So these are these massive redwoods, and he just looks like a little speck next to these redwoods. And the vegetation looks straight out of Jurassic Park, just to set the scene of this a little bit, because he's not as descriptive as somebody like Don is. And since he hunted in Oregon all the time, kind of took it for granted. Uh, it's pretty insane. Okay, my first thought was that it was two bears fighting. I was only half right, as I found out when nearing the glade. Out in the small brush of the opening, a bear and a cow were in mortal combat, one to get a few meals of choice beef, and the other to save her life. The action and noise were unbelievable as I watched from about a hundred yards away. The cow was bellowing and grunting, and the bear was snarling and growling. The bear finally got a secure hold over the cow's shoulders and seemed to be holding on with her teeth while the, she tore at the throat with those terrible claws. When the jugular was torn open, the cow gave up the ghost. The bear had not seen me and at once started gorging on strips of flesh torn from the cow's neck and shoulder. 
I wanted to get a shot at the bear, but was slow about making up my mind about getting closer to such an angry animal. <laughs> I had a lot of confidence in the big U-bow and the heavy broadhead, so decided to try for a close shot. <laughs> you just, I can't, oh my god. Between me and the bear and a little to the right was an immense fur log. I slipped over behind this log and moved up within about 25 yards of my game. And peeking over, I could see her back, but was not in a good position to shoot. So I climbed up on the log, which was about six feet above the ground. <laughs> I could see above about half the bear above the bushes and was trying to decide where to place my shot when she scented me and reared up on her hind legs, showing most of her body above the bushes and standing as straight as a man. I was ready and let fly with the heavy broadhead. It struck just below the brisket with the feather showing. The bear nosedive in the bushes and rolled over a few times, then rose up and started roaring and came toward me. After a couple of jumps, she stopped, reared up again, and threw up her head as if trying to locate me. I shot again and hit within a few inches of the first arrow. The bear repeated the performance and stood up again, and I shot the third arrow and hit it with the others. The bear pawed at the arrows in its chest, breaking them off, and then went down again, not letting up for an instant when the, with the terrible roaring. She stayed down longer this time, and I thought the battle was won. But no, she came up again. And then it talks about the blood and stuff like that. And I was scared half to death that she was so close. I made a good shot. The blade cut her lower lip and then through the neck, clipping the bone, and she died only 20 feet away. I sat on the log until my nerves calmed down and was sure the bear was dead, then started to analyze the situation. I went to where she was. <laughs> I then went, started to analyze. <laughs> I, well, because if you would have analyzed it before, he would have ran. I, I, right. went, I went to where she first appeared, which was about 25 yards, and saw where she had begun eating on the cow. To show for the, to show for the terrific struggle, the brushes were broken down in a 40-foot circle. Blood was everywhere. The cow, of course, was completely bled out, and the bear had uh, um, contributed considerably as she was badly gored in several places by the cow's sharp horns. So... He didn't get very good penetration on the first three arrows and then finally got enough penetration on the fourth. But you can you can kind of see why I picked this. Because it's absolutely insane to put yourself in that situation and think about what is happening. And he's telling the story. Like I, I mean, I, I've read several hunting stories, and after a while you get kind of desensitized to him. Because you read him and you think, oh, you know, he's off, do-do-do-do-do, he does this and this. I had to back up and read this three or four times. Because I was like, you've got to be kidding me. What's happening right now? This guy, this little traditional bow hunter with this U-bow and these arrows and 70-pound bow and whatnot, he's in the he's in the redwoods of Oregon. He's he's a days he's a day away from any any people other than his family camping. They're doing a primitive camp. He 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 wanders into the woods and, and, and there's a and there's an angry sow who kills a cow elk or I don't know if it's an elk or a deer he calls it a cow it could be a deer I don't know takes care of that the thing's eating and he just decides to, to stalk up on it stand up on a log and shoot the thing at 25 yards this angry bear you just can't, you don't hear about stuff like that anymore. <laughs> Probably because nobody's that insane anymore. Um, but in all with, all with handmade equipment, it's just, it's incredible. Uh, but the whole book's like that. You just read it and you're just like the life this guy lived. And it's got that old romantic charm to it, you know, of the olden days. And right. it's, it's just good. And the, and the pictures make it even better. And there's a lot of really funny stories in there, too. I think he was the first one that ever photoshopped a squirrel, like made the squirrel super big and put it in his hand like he, he shot it. And then he wrote a whole story about it and had it. Well, technically, it wasn't photoshopped because he was working with film. But <laughs> Yeah, exactly. It wasn't. It was it was film and he actually had ways to do it. And but the, the best character in the whole book is Grover Gothier. And it's his basically hard scrabble hillbilly friend, and this guy is awesome. Um, and they just just killed massive amounts of squirrels and rabbits in this book, the two of them. But Grover's something else. So if you can find this book, and I was lucky enough to stumble across it because Steve had found somebody 
who was selling. I'm gonna, ta- I'm, gonna, I'm gonna tell everybody where they can get it. You're gonna tell everybody where they can get it? Okay, good. Right, because I was tickled when you told me that you found a copy. Because you know, forever. I, I actually got I got the copy for you because I bought you, one for me, I bought one for you, and then I donated one at the MLA banquet last you year. You did do that. I remember that now. Yep. Yeah, because I, for a while I just I'd stare at it in the in the shop for like thirty five bucks and say, eh, I'm gonna buy arrows or something, and never never bothered with it. But I've read this book probably at least twice now. Um, just skip it around because it's the closest thing to an actual old journal that you can find. I mean, it's just really good. So, um, so. Well, I, and I've read it once. I need to, I need to go back and read it again. Um, cause it's, it's, it's been a while and, and listening to that, I remembered part of that story, but I need to go back and read it again. Uh, two things, um, about hearing you read that and you, you changed, you changed the way you said Oregon like four times. Yeah, well, you, were, you know. <laughs> going through that but here's here's the most important the, the most important take i have on that story is i never really realized how much you sound like henry frapp until you said or oregon <laughs> Who, who's henry frapp <laughs> as soon as i tell you you're gonna really get it uh brian keith in the mountain men movie <laughs> <laughs> oh no <laughs> <laughs> when uh when the guys tell them that he's they're moving fish over the rockies in barrels and he's he's he's, he's gonna he's gonna uh land uh farmstead in oregon <laughs> I got it right. as soon as you said it that's all it popped into my head i'm gonna find that movie on dvd i love that movie uh, yeah, I I do too. God, it's probably I, one of my my favorite. I guess you'd still call it stupid a Western, northern but. accent. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the the other the other piece of this that's very important is a uh, big shout out to to Carson Brown at Echo Archery. I don't know, uh, I don't know the story. Maybe that's a maybe that's a a reason to get him on the show and and talk to him about several things but one being i don't know how he came across these books but i do know that he bought a bunch of those books um and as far as i know i just pulled up his website he still shows them as in stock they're 24.95 i think uh 24.95 um it's a hardcover book it's not it's not very large and I don't. I'm assuming he still does. When you when you get the book on the on the front of the uh, on front cover, there's a picture of Chet Stevenson, mm-hmm. and inside the book, there's actually another copy of that photo that you could frame. It's not huge, but it's um, it's it's pretty cool to see the the you know that they went to that extra detail to include that you know when you when you bought the book. He also has a couple of other ones: uh, hunting the Osage bow. Uh, I don't know how you pronounce this guy's last name, and I know I should. Dean Torges. Um, I think it's Torges. Yeah, I've always yeah, I've I always think, said that. I think that's right. Um, so if I butchered it, uh, I'm sorry. But anyway, uh, so yeah, you, EchoArchery.com, and there's a just follow the link for books, and and you can find it because it's it's definitely worth 25 bucks. Oh, for sure. I I'd, I'd buy it again and again. It's amazing. So what's your next one, Steve? So, and this one's going to come as no surprise to anybody that knows me. Um, you know, as soon as we started talking about this, I knew Bows on the Little Delta was going to uh, come into this discussion. Um, and I think anybody that ever brings up, you know, the best traditional bow hunting book that you can find, you know, this is always my recommendation. Um, and there's a lot of reasons for that. Uh, you know, part of it's because I have gotten to know Jay. Uh, Glenn's son really well um, part of it is the the writing and part of it is it's not <clears throat> I look at bows on the little delta like I look at a lot of things when it comes to hunting and spending time outdoors when you read this book there's a lot more to it than just the hunts there's a lot of backstories there's a lot of you know side stories there's a lot of there's a lot of content in this book that helps paint the picture but really doesn't have a lot to do with bow hunting at all um and it's just you know i'm kind of the same way with this book that you are with anything jay writes i mean i just Mm -hmm. there's so much of this book that i that i like and it's funny um the 
the the chapter I ended up picking out here to to read just a little bit from is almost for a different reason because as I was just thumbing through this book, I somewhat reflected back on our our conversation last week around you know heard it on Facebook. That's what we're coining it now is heard it on Facebook. Kind of a funny play on words there, but you know some of the things that that you do see just constantly come up. You know it's and it's the silly bickering. And I know you've got something to add to this after I, I get into this, but um, people people arguing about things that just uh, they just don't matter. You know, you you've got uh, some guy will say something about, well, that's not traditional, and then the next person's talking about, well, if you're shooting a laminated bow, you know, that's not traditional. Blah, 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 blah. And another one that I've seen come up many times is, well, you know, Fred Bear and blah, they didn't use tree stands; they did it like man on the ground and all this stuff. And I remember when I read ran across this chapter the first time. That's the first thing I thought about. So I'm gonna read a, just a little bit from this, and then you know we'll talk about this. And I know you've got another little thing you wanted to throw out there too but so it's chapter 17 in this book and the the, ti- the chapter title is tree stands of yesteryear between 1950 and 1960 one of our most productive parts of nason creek hunting reserve was thompson ridge a steep south slope of ponderosa pines our log cabin the fort was nearby on the other side of the ridge We had four shooting stands on the crest of the ridge. They were about six by eight foot log platforms built between the trees. Paul Bruno would call them crotch grabbers. (laughs) They they overlooked the steep hillside where an occasional migrating buck would appear climbing up out of the bottom far below. The four of us, Bob Kelly, Bill Jardine, Bob Arvine, and I, Glenn St. Charles, each had our own platform. They were about 15 feet off the ground, accessed by a pole ladder. I was not prone to stay on one for very long. The cold and boredom would get to me. I needed to know what was going on where I was, I needed to know what was going on where I couldn't see from the platform. I never killed anything from my platform. And I'll stop there. So you know, Glenn obviously was a, you know, he was a roamer. He didn't, he didn't like sitting in the tree stands. But the point there is, this was between 1950 and 1960. No, there weren't such things as portable stands and climbing stands and hang-on stands. But these guys, just like generations and generations before them that were hunters, knew that an elevated position gave you an advantage. So, the next time you see one of those those silly arguments pop up where somebody says, well, you know, they didn't use tree stands back in blah, blah, blah. Yeah, they did. And then you, now you've got a reference you can even you can even point to and say, I know they did because Glenn St. Charles, the father of Pope and Young Record Club, hunted from a tree stand. So anyway, I just thought that was kind of cool. I'm pretty sure Fred did too. I remember, uh, I think it was, um, uh, what was it, Chasing a Bear? The... Uh, the, the Fred Bear book, I think Bob Munger wrote it. I could be totally wrong. Um, I'm not sure. But when uh, Fred Bear was in Africa, um, I think he he hunted from an elevated platform on uh, on more than one occasion for big game animals and talked about the, uh, I think it was for his safety at the time, but um, couldn't deny the that the uh, advantage it gave. But yeah, nothing new, folks. There's, there's pretty much, I mean, people have been at this long enough we're doing something that's been done over and over and over again. And we're still having the same arguments we were. (laughs) I'm going to read a little section here out of Hunt and Tackle. And again, this is from uh, Mr. Chester Stevenson. And this kind of plays back to our last episode too, Steve. Um, But you'll, you'll find this mighty, mighty familiar hunting tackle. This was, so does it mention the date? Or are you just, what was the date that this was written? This, um, all these stories are right from around the 1911 era. Um, <laughs> Turn I, of the century. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so they're, I mean, you're talking about horses and wagons and all kinds of stuff. I mean, yeah, you're, this is, this is old. Um, a typical question. A fellow asked why I use a 70 pound hunting bow and heavy arrows. This man is a deer hunter and goes on to say he uses a 48 pound bow and finds it perfectly satisfactory with the use of a 440 grain arrow. 
His statement is okay, especially if he gets close enough to place a shot in a buck. With my type of hunting and shots and short shots, a 35-pound bow would be ample to shoot through a deer. But I, like all kinds of game hunting, prefer a heavier bow. Remember, I am not trying to tell you what bow to use, but only to answer your questions by giving my opinions. I have a hundred or more bows in my den. They are all they are of all types to the newest, but when I go they are of all types up to the newest, but when I go hunting I take one of a half dozen heavy horn tipped U bows. I will give you a few of the ideas of what I have learned in the field and forest with some of the best small and large game hunters I have ever seen. Most of us out there out here when we go deer hunting use from sixty five to eighty pound bows, although we know a forty pounder will kill a deer just as dead. I have nothing against a light bow and a light broadhead in shooting deer, as far as penetration is concerned. I just can make more hits with a heavier bow. My favorite weapon is a 70 to 75 pound bow with a 550 to 650 grain arrow spine to fit the bow. In shooting, I tilt my bow and draw with the middle finger to the side of my mouth, and if the arrow fits the bow, it is supposed to go where I look. <laughs> and now the point the the point of this before anybody gets up because i know right now i can feel the listeners hair bristling this isn't the reason nick brought this up is not to advocate heavy bows it's it's about the thing we're having the we still today have the same arguments and inflated discussions that they were having in 1911 and probably before that. Probably before that. And the, <laughs> and the funny thing about that, I mean, the difference is, is back in the day, if you had opinion, you published a book. <laughs> That's right, because you didn't have social media. Exactly, and if you had a, if you had a contrary opinion, you wrote the editor or you published a book of your own. <laughs> right. So, you know, but you can imagine these people you know, razzing each other at a, at a, some kind of a diner or a campfire or, or whatever. And, and, but it's, it's remarkable when you read some of the stuff in here that it's the same conversation today that happened however long ago in the early 1900s. And, uh, just when we think we've come up with something new, like a tree saddle, I guarantee you there was some guy, some hard scrabble hill, Billy mountain man, dude with a rope, and he was doing in a bed sheet and he was doing the same thing that long ago. <laughs> so we, you know, the same ideas are circulating over and over again. So when you think that you've got something new or something is a new way of doing something, read something old like Den of the Old Bowhunter and you'll realize that none of this is, reinvent, is, is, is reinventing the wheel. We're, we're, we're all doing the same stuff they did when they started. And if you're a traditional bow hunter and you're reading these books, to me, that's the, that's the beauty of it is I can relate to so much of what I'm reading. Um, not, not knocking compound hunters. That's just what I'm, all I'm saying is I can put myself exactly in the shoes of these, the people that are writing these books. The other benefit of that, at least for me is when I, when I, when I force myself to stop and really read some of these, some of these books, chapters, passages, instead of just reading through them, like I would typically read a book, I'm, I'm really almost trying to dissect, create a picture in my mind of what the, the writer is trying to portray. And it's really cool because in so many cases, you can almost put yourself in their shoes because you can relate on some level. Um, you know, even you talking about old mealy mouth now, again, wasn't the same situation, but as you're sitting there reading, uh, all I can think about is, is Nick coming to Georgia and being face to face on the ground with a, a juvenile, but still a black bear. And the, the excitement that was on your face as soon as we met after that hunt, and I didn't know exactly what had happened, but I had a good idea. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, you you relating that that story about sitting there watching this bear just tear this this stump out of the ground to get to the grubs and so forth. And, uh, you know, those are the kind of stories and the things that happen that make it so relatable because we're in such a close proximity sport, mm -hmm. which is why I just – I love it. And when I can't do it, I love reading about what others have done doing the same thing. So, 
absolutely. And I and I immediately went back to that bear hunt when I when I read that story too. Like, you know, on the other hand, I was uh, had, had my bear been tearing apart a deer in front of me, and angry angrily growling. <laughs> And throwing blood and everything else within a radius of 40 yards, I might have acted a little bit differently than I did when that bear was grubbing in front of me. But, uh, yeah, it's the same. No, it's all, it, 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 it's all a matter of perspective. It is. Nick. I mean, if that, had, yep. if that had been the bear you saw, it would have been, you know, a rabbit maybe. Mm-hmm. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not quite as intimidating. No, not really. Uh, but... That's what makes these. I mean, yeah, you really, you're absolutely right. You, you read them, and you can put yourself in every single one of these hunts, and uh, it just, it, it just may, really makes you appreciate and want to keep doing what you're doing. And right, right. so, yeah. So uh, Nick and I have talked about this. I think we're going to do some more of these. We're we're going to try to spread them out a little bit. We we've, we've talked about a few different topics that we may you know bring some some discussions like this in about you know who knows it may be fly tying it may be fly fishing it may be uh, traditional archery instead of bow hunting but we're gonna we're gonna try to spread some of these out into these more. This has been fun and and it 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 forced me to think a little bit differently about you know some of the books that I'd read so. Um, I appreciate you doing this with me, man. This is a lot of fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I love talking about this stuff, and it was a great conversation. And as much as we love for people to to listen to the podcast, do yourself a favor, and if you haven't done it in a while, you know, go out and find one of these books, pick one up, and and start reading it. It's 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 a uh, almost a, a forgotten pastime now there's, there's everything's the digital age now and people don't don't read as much as they used to but i think you'll enjoy it if you if you give it a chance so um anyway until next time everyone thank you for listening uh we really do appreciate it try to keep yourself safe out there we're in a a bit of a unknown certainty right now with everything that's going on but you know stay safe stay healthy find a good book and read it um Please take the time to leave us a, a rating and review. And I'm also going to throw out a, uh, a quick ask that um, if you haven't already, please jump out and give us a subscribe on the Traditional Outdoors YouTube channel. Uh, you can just search on YouTube for Traditional Outdoors and it'll, it should come up right to the top. Uh, I am working on some new stuff that will be going out there you know, sometime in the next hopefully couple of weeks to a month. So uh, stay tuned for that. And until next time. Uh, thank you again for listening. Take care, everyone, and we'll talk to you next week. Bye, y'all.